You've tuned in to another episode of Life in Paradise podcast with me, your host, Brandon Harper. Today's April 2nd, 2022. Coming at you from sunny South Texas. Of high of, I don't know, 88, something like that, almost 90. Summertime is upon us. And you know what? Today has been one of those days where Murphy's Law proves its existence. Everything today that could have gone wrong practically went wrong. I'm probably going to get into it a little bit later, but I need my blood pressure to come down a little bit. That's about 6.50 in the evening. I've been messing with computer and technology-related things since like 3.30. Yeah, and, and you guys know how much I love that. There's nothing more I love than troubleshooting electronic failures. Yeah. So anyway, I've got some interesting things to speak of today. Um, putting on the final touches on my YouTube studio, so I'm hoping it's not too much longer. I've been taking my time, you know? Lots of my projects, I just rush into them, and I go out and I buy everything, and then I end up with some of the wrong stuff, and then you know, I'm out of the hobby in two years. Well, I've been taking my time, just little by little, piecing things together, keeping the blood pressure low, but you didn't come here to hear me talk about the blood pressure. For those of you who don't know me, I'm just a regular dude with a regular job with lots and lots of opinions. So, since I can't spew them at work, I come here about once every week or so to get them off my chest. Some you'll agree with, some you won't, and I'm okay with that. Because if the world can learn one thing, that's how to disagree without being disagreeable. So, sit back, relax, and let me have the starter stick for about the next 30 to 45 minutes. Yo, 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 baby. Well, well, here we are. We're back. Another week in the books. I know last week's show was a little bit different. We had uh, two guests at the same time. Me and Harry and old Mr. Heath, the money man. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Hope you learned something. Would love to hear some feedback on that. If you would like to have Heath again, if you learned anything, if he was too boring. Any feedback would be greatly appreciated. And you know what? I think I've gotten feedback like two times from two different people over the course of, I don't know how long I've been doing this, three, four, five, ten years, I don't know. So I'll keep asking for feedback. No one will keep giving it to me, and we'll just keep doing that. How about that? What a week it's been. We've got the whole world up in arms about some actor slapping some other actor at some actor awards ceremony. I could not care less. I really couldn't. I think it's hilarious. I think it's telling. I don't care if another man slaps another man. Personally, I think the whole thing was staged, but I'm not willing to debate about it. I'm not willing to argue about it. I'm not willing to spend hardly any time talking about it because it's just not important to me. There is one aspect of it that is kind of important, and it really has nothing to do with the the person who slapped the person or how famous the person was or if the person was going to apologize for slapping him and the wife and the bleh, has nothing to do with that. But I'd like for you to think for a second 
of if you were watching this awards ceremony and the guy who was on stage was a black guy. And Will Smith, let's just say he happened to be white. And he walked up there and he slapped a black guy. The whole thing would be about race, right? Yep. Yes, 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 Brendan. Yes, of course it would, it would be about race. Okay, we can admit that. Now let's flip it around. Let's say that the person on the stage was white and the person who walked up there was black. And the person, the black person walked up and slapped the white person. Would it still be about race? Oh, yes. It would still be about race. The only way that something can't be about race is if two people with the same skin color get into an altercation. Because other than that, it's clearly about race. You see, we've gotten to this point where we just assume that because something happens, it was because of race or racial issues. And that's not the case at all. I think most of the time, it just so happened that two people had different skin color. Now, I don't understand for the life of me why people get so uncomfortable talking about difference in skin color. I know I've talked about it before, but it's a big deal to me because these are things that are obvious and we shouldn't just ignore them. It's okay to dissect the issues we have with them. It's okay to laugh about them with your friends. You know, It's okay to talk about this. I mean, so many times if you're, if you're in a conversation with a black guy and you say, who do you think is the funniest white guy you know? Everyone will look at you and go, oh my gosh, that's a white people. He's talking about skin color over there. It doesn't matter. Who cares? I like to do it just to see people squirm a little bit. It's kind of funny to me. But the media would have run with it no matter what. And I think that's exactly what they wanted. And they're actors. They play pretend. They do this for a living. And I know there's like, oh, but he, he canceled the whatever. He quit some some academy he was in or whatever. Like, I don't, I don't know, but... I don't care. No one will convince me that that probably wasn't set, wasn't orchestrated. And even if it was just those two guys, you know, whenever I hear of a conspiracy or something that could have been planned, like fake the moon landing, for example, I immediately go to, okay, how could this have happened? How, what would it look like in real life if they would trick that many Americans, that many astronauts, that many engineers and in the case of the moon landing, it would have been tough. It would have been very, very tough. I'm not saying it did or didn't happen right now. I'm just saying it would have been tough. So now let's just say that these two guys did fake this. How hard would it be to conceal it? It would be extremely easy. This could have been a conversation on text messages between the two of them the night before. And when you combine that, that one item, when you, when you look at that one item and you think, well... That could have been very easy. Maybe he didn't even tell his wife. Maybe, maybe no one knew except those two guys. And that would have been easy. And it worked. What, those two people, those are the kinds of people, just because what they do for a living, they really like to be in the spotlight. They love the feeling of being attention. It feels comfortable for them to be on stage. They like that feeling. Anything they can do to bring them more attention and more spotlight and more fame and more glamour, they like it. So... So they'll do things to, to achieve that. And it's probably kind of funny to them and me too when they trick everyone. I, I originally thought that everyone was in on it and, you know, it was two magicians doing tricks in a, in a room full of magicians. But that's neither here nor there. None of those details matter. This is, you know, this is something that 
the media runs with when there's nothing else to talk about. When the war is stagnant, when they're really starting to dig on Hunter Biden's laptop, whenever there's nothing to gripe about, COVID's kind of gone, so they just run with this. And this is going to be a forever meme. So whatever, here we are. I know one thing. Those two guys, they don't have to deal with the types of things that you and I have to deal with. They don't have the problems that we have. He didn't. They didn't get up this morning and spend like five hours trying to find the right size Allen wrench to fix something like I did. I woke up this morning, decided I was going to go to the air show, meet Kale, my business partner there, and his brother. We're going to watch the planes fly around real fast. It's something I really like. Not a lot of places that, that I like to go that I'm willing to be around a bunch of strange people. But air shows is one of them. I do dig a good air show. So got up this morning, went and got my car washed, ran a couple errands, and then drove out to Kingsville, which is about 45 minutes. I get there. I go eat lunch at this little Indian food place I've been wanting to try. It was cool. Good food. Met the dude. Then Kale calls. He said, hey, we're not going to come. It's too hot. I said, okay, I'll still go. I drive there. Tons of people. I'm like, you know what? I can't. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to go through all this with all these people and walk for miles with my chair and park my car in the dirt. So I'm just going to go home, continue working on the YouTube studio. So I think I've touched on week before last that I was at a standstill with hooking up the electronics. And I was for about a week after ordering some more cables and more adapters and more this and more that and more money being spent, Harry showed up wearing a Superman cape. And since Harry's like 20 years younger than me, technology comes pretty easy to him. And so he kind of got me set up, got me what I needed to get going, understand how all the equipment works. Because it's not just as simple as like a little webcam and pushing record. It's more to it than that. And I'm not going to go into all the details because they suck and they're boring and nobody cares. So Harry comes out, gets, helps me get all set up. <clears throat> um, but I didn't have the camera mount. So I ordered a camera mount. It's supposed to have a clamp on it that clamps to the table. The clamp wouldn't fit on the table. Table's too tall. I tried to scrape off some of the foam on the little pad because it was a close fit. Nope, wouldn't do it. Okay, so I'm going to take the stand apart. I'm going to screw the base of it to a block of wood. And I'm going to clamp that wood to the table with a big C-clamp, like a construction clamp. Well, it didn't have the right size Allen wrench. So got one from the brewery yesterday, brought it home. Still didn't, didn't have the right size. I needed metric. The ones I brought home were standard. Drove back to the brewery this morning. Nope. No metric Allen wrenches in the whole brewery. None to be found. Nowhere. If I had a, if I had 10 bucks for every set of Allen wrenches I've bought in my life, I bet you I'd have 150 bucks. But I couldn't find one. Couldn't find one of the right size that I needed. So drove to Tractor Supply. Get the right Allen wrenches. I come home. I get everything mounted. Oh, the screws are too long. The screws are going to screw into the table through the 2x4. I said, you know what? I don't care. I don't care if the screws go into the table at this point. I'm so sick and tired of this thing. Anyway, I don't know what got me going on that rant. I think that it was just because like people like Chris Rock and Will Smith, don't, they don't have to go through this. They're far removed from the real world. And they can kind of get away with doing things that they want, regardless of what anyone thinks. So I don't know. I don't really care that much. I do know one thing. I hear all these people saying, 
There's no time and a place for aggression. There's no time and place to be physical. And I completely disagree with that. There is a time and place for it. There is a time when aggression works. Now, that doesn't mean to run out and be aggressive towards everyone and scream at people and threaten with violence and hit people and slap people when they don't respond to you the way that you want them to. But it does mean that sometimes you need to be aggressive to get your point across. And I don't know where all you've been in the world, but there's lots of ways that people communicate that other people don't understand. Let's take sarcasm, for example. If I was in a country where most people spoke English as a second language, and let's just say for whatever reason, the waiter, I place an order, and the waiter's like, oh no, we, we don't have any rice. <laughs> and I said something like, oh, you don't, you don't have any rice. Just, just out of rice, just no more rice, just can't find any more rice. And he'd probably look at me, smile, and go, no, no more rice. Not understanding that I'm being sarcastic or facetious. And so... But what is understood around the world is anger and aggression. And so not, I'm not advocating that someone get angry because they don't have rice. I'm just using that as an example, saying that if I were to get angry, the guy would know that I was upset that there was no rice. But being sarcastic about it, he would never understand that because sarcasm is it's a nuance to the American culture or the Western culture. I say all that to, to retell a story. I may have mentioned it on here. There's a, a crazy guy who lives across the street from me. And he's he's literally crazy. He has voices in his head or something like that. He walks around. He screams. He's mad. He's angry. And I've kind of gone through a few stages with this guy where at first I would be kind of laughing at him and ha, 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 he's crazy. Crazy guys out there screaming. And then I kind of went through a stage where I was like, man, I really feel bad for that family and that guy. Like, they don't want anything to do with that. It's something that haunts them every day. They've got kids that live in that house. And then my cousin Harry brought up a good point. He said, you know, sometimes you just got to scream at crazy people. And I never really let it sink in until the other day when the guy was outside walking around screaming, cussing. You know, it was 1130 at night. And I'd been thinking about how everyone understands aggression. And so I walk out there behind my fence where he couldn't see me, but I think he knows who I was. So I have like a six-foot fence between my backyard and the front yard, and I could see him out there walking around screaming, cussing, and I just go, shut up, real loud. And he goes, you shut up, bitch. (laughs) And that was three nights ago, and I have not heard another word from the crazy man. And I'm thinking, I'm kind of putting this all together, thinking, you know, he understands, no, you cannot do that. He, he gets that. He, I've seen his dad out there begging, pleading him, please be quiet. Please come in the house. Please, you're disturbing the neighbors. Please, you know, just begging him. And, I, and I, when that was happening, I felt so bad for the dad. But I wonder if the dad just took him and said, get your ass in the house and shut up right now. It would probably be a different story, you know? So my whole point is, Sometimes there's a time and place for aggression. And and knowing when to use it is the tricky part. That's that's what we fail to teach people. Instead of that, we just tell them aggression is bad. You should never be aggressive towards anyone. We could just hold hands and sing kumbaya. That doesn't work in most cultures. It doesn't work. You know, you think about the the tribal rivalries back in the day. There was no peace talks. There was no 
let's negotiate. That Those types of things happen as a society progresses and as people become more comfortable and more wealthy and they have more to lose. They can stand. You know, if you, if you were a native Indian living on the plains and you fight to the death with someone and you lose, you know, I hate to say it, but that was different than if you fight to the death with someone now and you lose. You know, you've got more responsibilities. You've got employees. You've got people counting on you. You've got all sorts of things. So when we make decisions, we have to evaluate whether or not what we're about to do is worth it. And I think that since we've moved away from that, because a lot of times it's not worth it, instead of teaching people when, when it's acceptable to be angry, we just teach them, don't be angry. And it's just another type of, another type of setting that we just, we just take away the thing that can be abused in the sake of trying to make it better for everyone. Here's another example for you. In the world of dogs, there's the pit bull. And the pit bull was bred specifically for fighting big game, big um, bulls and whatnot. You know? And then it evolved into fighting dogs. So the, a well-bred pit bull, and I've, I've mentioned it before in here, but a well-bred pit bull who's bred for fighting or, or aggression will run up to an old crippled dog and kill it. It will just, it, there, there's no, it's not about the fight. It's about the joy that it gets from destroying another animal. And so it, it does enjoy the fight also, but it's not, it's not like a boxer who's there for the sport. This is the person who's out for blood. This is the type of person that will just knock out an old person unsuspectingly for fun. And I don't like them. I don't think most people should have them, but I see the need for them. I see the need for having aggression because it's, it's genetic. It's in there. And just like anything else in the world of genetics, once it's depleted from a gene pool, it's gone. You can't get it back. You can't. Uh, I say you can't. It, it would be very, very difficult because we're not breeding dogs for that purpose anymore. So why do we need to have aggressive dogs? Why should we have them around? Because we use them in the working dog world. We get them, you know, if we need a dog to to be a little bit more aggressive um, because it's a working dog, it's a police dog, and it needs to have some fight in there, then we'll throw it in the mix. Or at least the Dutch will, you know. They'll throw it in the in the gene pool and get a couple aggressive dogs and then breed them back down to where they want them to a manageable level. So I think it's important that we maintain that that trait in humans and that we don't we don't suppress it, that we embrace aggression and just do a better job explaining people when's the time to use it. What do I know? What do I know about teaching people anything? I'm just a stupid dog trainer brewery owner guy. Speaking of aggression, here's our powerful leader, Mr. Bro Jiden, getting confused on stage about whether or not he is the husband of the first lady, which he is, just in case you're confused also, he is actually the husband of the first lady. But yeah, just, just listen for yourself here. This must have been in the afternoon where he was real he was real slurry. You could you can tell he was he wasn't having one of his good days. You know, when you get older they say, Well, he has his good days and his bad days. He was having his bad he was having a bad day. I'm, I'm afraid to say it. He was having a bad day. Stage, but that's enough too. Look at the stage. <laughs> but there's been a little change in the arrangement of who's on the stage because of 
the first lady's husband uh, contracting COVID. But uh, look at this room and what you see. Now, if you listen, you just heard he said the first lady's husband has COVID. And some lady screamed out from the crowd to try to throw him a line and say, wait, no, you're the you're the first lady's husband. And then he just he loses it. He gets all discombobulated again. Pardon? That's right. She's fine. It's me. That's not together. You see, he doesn't know what's going on. They're laughing. He's not even saying anything. And they're just ah, just erupting with laughter. They're prepared to laugh because they know he's lost. And they're bailing him out by laughing. This is so pathetic. You, no matter how much you hate Trump, you should, you should really, really, really be embarrassed by this. He doesn't know what he's saying. He's just, he knows how to throw a joke out there with the right cadence to get a laugh. That's exactly what he's doing. The second lady, the first gentleman. <laughs> how about that? Anyway, you see, he went from from uh, uh, talk about the first gentleman. Uh, anyway, that's what he's he learned to do. Just a big sigh and a. Anyway, let's get on with what we're talking about and not pay attention to how stupid I am. Uh, here's I'm gonna play it again in its entirety. I can't help but interrupt it, but I'm gonna play the whole thing. Here you go. Stage, but that's enough too. Look at the stage. <laughs> But there's been a little change in the arrangement of who's on the stage because of the first lady's husband uh, contracting COVID. But uh, look at this room and what you see. Pardon? That's right. She's fine. It's me. That's not together. The second lady, the first gentleman. How about that? Anyway, I'm going to keep bashing him. I'm not going to quit. I will not quit because he doesn't deserve to be president. He's too sloppy. He's too far gone. His brain's too mushy. We're the most powerful country in the world. We have the most nuclear weapons. We have the most money. We have the most engineers. We have the most valuable currency. We have the most fragile economy right now. And we're okay. We're just laughing at this guy on stage who's supposed to be leading us. Would you, would you pick this guy to coach your kid's soccer team? Would you let him drive you in a car? What about flying in a plane? Would you let him do that? Would you let him sit on the board of your Fortune 500 company and, and give you some advice on how to do anything except maybe take money from the Ukrainians? No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. Not everyone is better than Trump, especially not this guy. I'll tell you what's even better than that is this lady right here. The vice president, his his right-hand lady, right-hand lady doesn't have a clue what's going on. Now, her mind is there. She just doesn't have the IQ to process things. As Newt Gingrich called her two weeks ago, uh, the dumbest woman on the face of the planet. The governor and I, and we were all um, doing a tour of the library here and um, talking about the significance of the passage of time. Right, the significance of the passage of time. So when you think about it, there is great significance to the passage of time in terms of what we need to do to lay these wires, what we need to do to create these jobs. And there is such great significance to the passage of time when we think about a day in the life of our children. 
She said the significance of the passage of time three times in like 20 seconds. Remember when you were like a little kid and you learned a phrase or a word and you used to just say it over and over again? Mommy said, damn it. Mommy said, damn it. Damn it. Damn it. Mommy said, damn it. Stop saying that. Damn it. Mommy said, damn it. What the hell? What the hell? Johnny, stop saying that. What the hell? What the hell? What the hell? That's Kamala Harris. Someone taught her the other day that there's a phrase, and it works really well. It's called the significance of the passage of time. In fact, there's a piece that a think tank wrote about it. It'd be good if you referenced it a time or two in your in your speech. All right, I'm going to play this montage. Here is... Um, I didn't put this together. This is from the Michael Berry Show, who I listen to every single day. And I'm influenced by him. So if you're here for independent journalism, this is the wrong place, buddy. Okay? I have my opinions. And they're strong. But that doesn't mean we can't talk about your opinions. So listen to this. I hope you're a big Kamala fan. I hope I hope somebody here is listening to this and they're like, you know what? That Kamala Harris, she's, she's just got it together. And then I want them to listen to this clip, and then I want them to contact me so we can do a live video conference talking about how great this woman is. As we all know, elections matter. And when folks vote, they order what they want, and in this case, they got what they asked for. It is time for us to do what we have been doing, and that time is every day. Every day it is time for us to agree. Talking about the significance of the passage of time, right? The significance of the passage of time. So when you think about it, there is great significance to the passage of time. I am here, standing here on the northern flank, on the eastern flank, talking about what we have in terms of the eastern flank and our NATO allies. Is a country in Europe. It exists next to another country called Russia. Russia is a bigger country. Russia is a powerful country. Russia decided to invade a smaller country called Ukraine. So basically that's wrong. We've been to the border. You haven't been to the border. I, and I haven't been to Europe. And I, I mean, I don't know. We must together, work together, to see where we are, where we are headed, where we are going, and our vision for where we should be, but also see it as a moment, yes, to together address the challenges. We have the ability to see what can be unburdened by what has been, and then to make the possible actually happen. What is at stake at this very moment? What is at stake this very moment are some of the guiding principles around the NATO alliance as it relates to what we need to do domestically as well as, as what we need to do in terms of this issue generally. We have, as the president said, uh, reevaluated what we're doing. Based on what we've just been able to see, and because we've seen it or not, doesn't mean it hasn't happened. That last one was one of my favorites. Just because we've seen it or not does not mean it hasn't happened. You know, if you say anything with enough confidence to people who are not really sure... If you're making sense, they'll normally give you the benefit of the doubt. And she's figured that out. And that's what's gotten her to where she is. Remember, the only reason she was selected is because she's a black woman. Let's not forget that. Not there's anything wrong with black women. There's plenty of black women that would have made a great vice president. Barbara Jordan's one of them. 
Condoleezza Rice. I mean, there's lots of black women, even Democrats. But we're not going to get into that right now. We're just going to talk about Kamala and how she's like a little kid who just learned how to say bad words. While we're on the topic of politicians, I want to I want to talk about something here. And, you know, from a business standpoint, whenever you're looking at an investment or spending money in order to make money, it's what you call your acquisition cost. And that can apply to a customer, right? Let's just say you need to acquire customers. So what is it going to cost? How, how will you get in front of these customers? Because you always have to pay for people's time. So somehow or another, you've got to acquire these customers. And there's a cost to it. That could be a billboard. It could be a commercial. It could be a social media person. Who knows? But there's an acquisition cost. If you want to buy a new piece of equipment for your brewery, you got to run out and you got to acquire it. There's a cost to acquiring that equipment. And I want to talk about politicians and their acquisition cost. And we think about it in terms of, you know, when you're from a small business perspective, you're thinking about, okay, if I invest in this piece of equipment or if I invest in this marketing, how long will it take to pay itself off? How much good will it benefit my organization and how fast? So that that way I can make an informed decision and figure out, is it worth it or not? Well, politicians have an acquisition cost. There's a, they have to win an election. In order to win elections, they have to spend money. It would be very, very nice if they didn't have to. I hope one day all like campaign contributions get eliminated altogether. So either way, it's, it is what it is right now. And if you think about how much money gets raised for these elections, like, for example, Beta O'Rourke. Okay, when he ran for senator of Texas, which I just want to—I just want to announce this—that Beta O'Rourke now wears a shirt that says "Don't mess with Texas trans kids." And let me just tell you a little secret, Beta: nobody wants to mess with trans kids. I promise you that—that—that's that, for another podcast. So Beta O'Rourke, all his rich daddies and friends and in-laws and. You know, he's married to uh, the Heinz girl who's heir to the Heinz fortune. And so they raised $70 million for old Beta so that he could help turn Texas blue. And you're darn right. I want to take away your guns, which is exactly what he said. That's for another podcast. Either way, 70 million bucks. He blew it in election, just wasted it. Poof, gone. All in the pockets of social media conglomerates and marketing firms and advertising agencies owned by his buddies. So it's gone now. That money's gone, that $70 million. But let's just say that he won. Let's just say that Beta won. And he marches in as a Texas senator, one of two. And of all the things that he gets changed, would it, is it worth it? Is it worth $70 million? So chances are a senator can't just waltz into the state and make a bunch of big changes. They can't. They just don't have enough power, and it's a good thing. They shouldn't have lots of power. I like power to be distributed among lots of people. That way it takes time and energy to make changes. So these politicians that were, were pumping tons of money into getting them elected, it's not so that they'll make changes in policy for the average people. It's so they'll make changes in policy that benefit businesses. And this is one thing that people overlook. 
They just assume that politicians have the best interest of the people at heart. No, they don't. Why do businesses give so much money to politicians? It's not just because they want to see the state do better and a better place for tomorrow. No, they invest money in the politician so the politician will change the policy that benefits their business. So that's the payback. That's where the money comes. The money doesn't come from voters who want to see changes in policy. Every now and then you'll get somebody like Bernie Sanders who swindles everyone out of their money. But for the most part, it's big businesses giving money to these political action committees who is just a, the political action committee is, is a loophole that allows businesses to give money to politicians because there's a maximum cap. I think it's like 15000 or something like that per year that a business can give a corporation. And so what they do, I'm sorry, not that a business can give a corporation, that a corporation can give to a specific politician. So what they do is they establish these political action committees. And they're very specialized. When I was in the home building business, I used to always get letters. Would you like to give money to the home builders political action committee? And so all this money goes to hiring lobbyists and getting politicians elected. So they can they distribute the money from the political action committee to the politician. But the politician is is now bound to support whatever that political action committee supports, which they may already, but now they're bound. They have to they have to proceed with a policy that benefits them because they took money from them. And to me, this is just a, a more clear example of how politicians have moved away from representing the people to representing corporations because that's where their money comes from. And if they get into power and they get into control, they can, they can push the policy in one direction or another that helps their buddies who own the manufacturing businesses and in turn, those buddies will turn around and give money right back to the politicians so they can win more elections, so they can influence more policy, so that they can win more elections, so they can make more money. And it's just a vicious cycle. And the people, the little peons like us, like me and you, we're just a little, we're just a little pawns down here, right? Remember that, that saying from the documentary Social Dilemma? If you're, uh, what is it? If you're not the... If it's, if it's free, you're the product. <laughs> that's, that's how it is for us. They're using us to get their votes so that they can change the policy that it helps businesses one way or another. You see, even people who are against certain businesses, there's someone that will always benefit. There's some, some let's look at electric vehicles. People, by, by smashing internal combustion engine industry, you're helping the electric vehicle industry. And so there's always a give and take. There's always winners and losers. But my whole point is that the cost of acquiring these politicians, the cost of getting them elected, is nowhere near worth the policy that they put into place. It, it, it doesn't even come close. And if we looked at it from a business perspective, we would say, guys, this is a terrible investment. We're... we're taking $70 million out of the economy and just giving it, you know, to a couple of little people here and there for what? And then there ends up being no influence. That money just got wasted. I think that if someone <laughs> raised $70 million for an election and then they did good things with $70 million, 
that would bring them more attention than paying Facebook to run ads. Don't be giving away my secrets. I might use these one day. But why not take the money, do good things with it, and you'll get recognition. It's like I always say, when you do good things, people will see it. You don't have to tell them. You know, these photo ops are these guys in hard hats that are digging shovels in the ground and groundbreaking ceremonies on the new park downtown. You know, if, you, if you're in office and you get enough of parks built, you'll be known for the park guy. But it's just cheesy to me when people create these photo opportunities. And I know why they do it is to gain, gain status, gain popularity so they can continue doing what they're doing. Because remember, businesses don't get to vote. They don't, get it. they don't get to go to the election and, and say who they want to win. The only control they have is by giving money and crossing their fingers. Oh, until now. Now businesses are publicly speaking out on social policy, which is just hilarious to me that these businesses are coming out and trying to participate in the cancel culture. You got, you got Disney, who's gone so woke it's not even funny coming out and criticizing a bill that the Florida governor is putting into place or, or advocating. And why? You, you know, the CEO at first, he said, you know what? We're not going to participate in all this political stuff. And I was like, thank you. Thank you for not participating in the political stuff because this is how the wedge just gets driven farther and farther. Either one of two things. We all have to quit or we all have to be ready to go to war. So anyway, this guy says, you know what? We're not taking a stand. We're not speaking. Well, what happened? All of his employees went to whining and crying and bitching and moaning that he wouldn't stand up against a bill that they didn't like. Okay, now I'm not talking about a bill that says let's put all black people in jail. I'm not talking about a bill that says if your car's out of inspection, you get shot in the head. We're talking about a bill that made it illegal to talk to kids between the ages of kindergarten and third grade about sexuality i don't care if it's trans whatever i don't care if it's gay i don't care if it's straight i mean what what is wrong with these people we're telling people that following the teachings of jesus is bad and that we should let teachers instruct kids about sexuality but between kindergarten and third grade what's wrong with you people i mean Let's just say you don't believe in Jesus and you think it was all fake and he was a scammer and a con artist. But you could have the option for your kid to live like him and, and do all the good things that Jesus did and just use him as a role model, even if you don't think he's real. Well, I wouldn't lie to my kid. Yeah, you would. You tell him about Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. You lie to your kids all the time. I'm getting worked up here. I'm getting worked. I'm just warning you. I'm going to say something I might regret. But I just, I don't think businesses should pu publicly speak about policy, much less let their employees influence them. I mean, what are you showing? What are you showing your employees? Like, if you guys all scream loud enough, we'll pretty much do, well, we'll just do whatever you guys want. So we'll kind of just let you guys run the company. You, I mean, we'll just kind of sit back and whatever makes you guys mad, just let us know and we'll, we'll parrot it for you. You know, we'll just say, we'll say whatever you guys think. You guys all just talk together and. I don't think a company should be run that way. I think a company should be run by the leaders of the organization. And they should say, this is how we're going to do things. This is the direction that we're going. Either you have faith in it and jump on board or go work somewhere else. What's, what's wrong with that? We're, 
We're convoluting the, the construct of leadership. We're, we're diluting it. We're saying that like, no, let's not have leaders. Let's have everyone just be the same and everyone just do great things for everyone. It's just not the way that humanity works. We, we got to have people who lead organizations and make decisions and be willing to put their nuts in the chopping block. And luckily, there are people out there who are wired that way and they're good at it and it doesn't bother them and they're not scared. That's the kind of people we need to be putting into positions of power. Not people who just talk about the significance of the passage of time over and over again. Speaking of the significance of the passage of time, we must together. <laughs> okay, no, really, I'm going to talk about climate change in a, in a sort of way. You know me. I, I try to take the topics that everyone else talks about and then put my own spin. Because if we're all being honest, everyone talks about the same crap every day. So climate change. I've been thinking about climate change and how there's a lot of unknowns and whether or not we've caused it or we haven't caused it and what's could cause it. What could, you know, there's, we can all agree that we don't really know. There are a certain group of people that say that that's idiotic and that we do know that, that humans are causing it. And there's another group of people on the other side of the spectrum who say that, well, they're all stupid and we have not caused it. But the truth is somewhere in the middle, probably either way, Let's just say that we're causing it, okay? So our use of internal combustion engines and generating lots of electricity and factories and whatnot is causing the climate to change. Some, some years it goes up, some years it goes down. Some years they blame the snow on it. Some years they blame fires on it. You never know, but let's just say that we're affecting it. Might it be worth it? <laughs> Might it be worth the trade-off? I mean, look, guys. We can get groceries delivered to our house in an hour. We can have, we can order five shirts from Amazon and try them all on and keep the one that fits best and send the other one back and never have to leave our house. And we, we can normally get it like the next day or the day after. We all have our own vehicle. We can run the air conditioner in our cars and set the temperature or whatever we want to. We have heated and air conditioned seats. We have heating and air conditioning in our home. We can buy toys that fly around and have cameras on them. And we have all these things because we've made progress. Technology has advanced. The idea that we should slow things down in the sake of climate change, I don't, I don't agree with necessarily. I think that the change that we've had in the last, let's just say, 150 years is worth it. I mean, nothing catastrophic has happened once buildings start falling into the ocean, we can have a conversation. But we're not there yet. We're not there yet. And we can exploit the resources that we have. And when it's time to replace them, we'll figure something out. Because it's not that bad yet. And maybe it'll get there one day. And maybe we'll have to slow things down. But in my opinion, this is just my opinion, you may think that it'd be better to live in a third world country where we burn wood to cook which actually is the number one cause of pollution, but that's for a different show. You may think it's worth it. You may think that, hey, we don't need to use gas-powered carts to haul our corn to market. We can go back to using oxen. You know what? That's If that's what we got to do, that's what we got to do. And that can be your opinion, and this can be my opinion. And there's nothing wrong with that. But in my opinion, trying to tell people how to live their life and putting constrictions on the way that they live and 
taking away conveniences. And I know there's people out there who think everything doesn't have to be so convenient. Look at Europe. They don't even have cars. I know. They don't have cars because they can't afford them because their taxes are too high and their regulations are too high. But we can because our regulations are lower. Our standard of living is very, very high. And if that means one degree Celsius warmer <laughs> over, the, over the last 150 years, uh, okay, I'm fine with that. We clearly identify things that are terrible. It didn't take us long to figure out that lead paint's bad. It didn't take us long to figure out we can't be dumping nuclear waste into rivers. We learned that real quick. So all these little things are kind of minuscule. Well, that sounded kind of like comma there. All these little things are minuscule. <laughs> See, I'll call my own self out when I mess up. That way, can't nobody else do it. I think if you were to time travel back into the early 1900s, let's just say 1910, and you could transportate somebody from then to now and they can look at the life that we have and all the conveniences and all the comfort and every simple thing in our life they would say and, and, and then we showed them that well just so you know this is what we've done to the environment this is what what you see is here but and and then now we go through the list of all the things that have changed on the climate and we say you know well the the oceans are a centimeter higher and, um, you know, like it gets hotter sometimes when it used to get colder and now it gets colder sometimes when it get, used to get hot. <laughs> I feel like they would knock on a head, McFly, hello, it's worth it, dude. You don't know what it's like to not have running water. <laughs> you don't know what it's like to have to work sun up to sundown so you can eat collard greens. <laughs> but here we are. We're fighting about it. It's because we can't see the big picture. All we do is we just see the little snapshot of our life and we hear the people screaming in the background. We feel obligated to take a side. All right. I'm going to shift gears a little bit here. I'm going to talk. I'm going to give you some, some insight into the, the world of craft beer. And I say it like that because, you know, I don't even like the term craft beer. I don't know what I don't like the idea of handcrafted ales. I don't I don't like that. I just like to make good beer. That's it. It's it's kind of it devolved into this arena of people who think that they know more than other people about a product. And it's kind of gross. And it's part of the reason why we got involved in this industry is because we saw we saw a group of people who hadn't been talked to. They hadn't been spoken to. They hadn't been they've never been given a beer that tastes familiar to them. So their whole life, they've gone through the craft beer cycle trying to drink double IPAs, and they don't like them. For those of you who don't know, a double IPA is a super bitter, high-alcohol beer that's only suitable to the most distinguished palates. <laughs> and so, I don't know, I'm on a couple of um, Instagram, I follow a couple of people on Instagram, and they make fun of all these craft beer nerds from the perspective of brewers, which is highly funny to me. And take, take, for instance, the IPA guy, okay? So there's these people out there who, who consider themselves beer experts. And they've, there's this app. It's called Untapped. And it's an app where you can go to your favorite breweries and you can check in and you can say, I've tried this beer. I liked it. It was good. It wasn't good. Whatever. But what it's turned to is a cesspool 
of people that just want to bitch. It's kind of like Yelp. You know, people feel that if the more critical they are, the more stroke they'll have, or the more the more renowned they'll be. And this is why I can't stand food critics. I can't stand people who secretly go to restaurants and judge them and then put it out there publicly. Because chances are they couldn't cook anything. You know, the craft beer industry is riddled with these people who will just rip apart beer. And they'll say, oh my gosh, so underbalanced, so overcarbonated, too high alcohol. And it's unfortunate because culinary skills is an art. Making beer, making food, cooking barbecue. And culinary art is the only art that I can think of whereby people just stand around and criticize it. Could you imagine going to a art gallery or you know, and, and where these people have displayed their art and it's for sale? And someone walks up and goes, Ugh, that's just the wrong color. And that sunset, I don't know why they would ever use that shade of purple. I've never seen anything like that in real life. No, because we accept the fact that that is the artist's interpretation of that image, whatever it was. And so with beer, it's the same way. This We're creating a recipe with infinite combinations of things to taste it how we want it to taste. And you might not like it, and that's okay. We don't all have to like everything. But what you can't say is it's bad or criticize. I mean, you can say it's bad if it's gone bad. If milk has gone sour, we know, hey, this milk's sour. If things have gone bad, there's a difference between I don't like it and it's bad. And that's what really bothers me. And so there's this joke in the in the brewing world about these guys, self-proclaimed IPA guys, who, you know, they travel around all the breweries and they just... For whatever reason, they all love IPAs, which stands for India Pale Ale. It's, it's a beer that's more bitter than most. It's very hoppy. And so I'm an IPA guy, and my favorite thing to do is mess with them. I go, oh, yeah? Because they'll come up to the bar, and they'll be like, you guys only have one IPA on tap? Uh, yep, just one. Would you like to try it? Yeah. Is it hazy? Because the hazy IPA is a new thing. Well, not new anymore. It's getting old, but it's a... It's a style of IPA that was real popular for a while. Do you have any hazies, bro? Nope, no hazies. We got we got a West Coast. It's kind of an English style IPA. It's very traditional. Yeah, hmm, man. Because I'm like from San Diego, and like everyone there has IPAs. Oh, okay. Well, we're not San Diego. We're Corpus Christi. Uh, would you like to try something? Yeah, and then they get it, and they go on Untapped, and they give a stupid review. And what I went recently and did is I looked at Untapped and I found, I looked at all of our beers and I sorted them from highest ranking to lowest ranking. I was like, I wonder what our lowest ranked beer is. So I scroll all the way to the bottom of the list and I see it's our, I don't know, it's, it's some one-off beer that we had for a while. There's a few over there ones that are in there that were just, they were only up for a short time. There wasn't a lot made. The scores were low, but they were not... Uh, they weren't up for a very long time, so they didn't have a chance to get a good score. They got a few bad scores. We ran out, whatever. We discontinued it, and so they got bad scores. The fifth worst score was our Supremo, which is an ultralight lager, which is not too far off from something like a Michelob Ultra. And in the craft beer world, no one makes these. They don't like them, or the customers have never really demanded them, so brewers haven't really taken the time to make them. But we do because our customers are the types of customers who like those. And our sales numbers prove it. 
So the Supremo, the beer that ranked fifth from the bottom, we've made 54 beers that have been ranked by Untapped. Supremo is 49 out of 54, so almost dead last on the on the rankings of beer nerds. But you know what our number one seller was in the tap room by like 10% in 2021? Yep, the Supremo. And so, you know what? Like your customers pay your bills, not your critics. So, I've had enough <laughs> of these stinking beer critics. And I want to start criticizing them. I want to start making fun of them. And I kind of did. On Untapped, you know, every single beer we have, I went through and I said, I wish it was a little bit thicker. I wish it was thicker <laughs> because there are people out there. So there's like IPA guys. And there's also stout guys who like really like stouts. And stout is a dark color beer, normally like strong, smoky, charcoal flavor. And there's stout guys. And they, for whatever reason... They like them very viscous, very thick. And so I went through every single one of our beers on Untapped, and I say, this was a great beer. I just wish it was a little bit thicker. <laughs> Literally every single beer. I don't know. I do those types of things to entertain myself, and I think they're funny. But, yeah, we're the IPA guys, we're, we're done. Somebody came the other day was like, you guys only have one IPA? Oh, well, I'm from Bend, Oregon, where it's like the IPA capital. You ever heard of it? I'm like, yeah, there's like five breweries per person there, dude. Of course I've heard of it. So, I don't know. I just I got no more patience for these kind of people. They don't pay our bills. They don't mean anything to me. I don't care. I'm not worried about getting canceled. Like, for the first time in my life, I've actually been in the position where I feel like I can say what I feel, and I'm not going to get canceled. And you know what? If I do, if I get canceled, oh, well, I'll go live in a shack in the woods somewhere with a dog and not care about it. So, that's where I'm at on net. IPA guys, you can go beep yourself. Oh, and one more thing, the classic, the classic answer. Okay, cool. What brings you to town? Um, I'm here for a conference. Uh-huh, cool. What kind of beer you like? I'm an IPA guy. Okay. What which IPA is your favorite? Uh, there's a little silence. And then like, I mean, I like all of them. I like all pretty much all of them. <laughs> when you ask someone who claims to be a specialist what their favorite is, and they say all of them, they deserve to be made fun of. I'm sorry, but that's how I feel. All right. Well, I I guess I'm out of stuff to talk about. I'm gonna call it a wrap. I'm gonna run inside, grab the dogs, bring them outside, throw the ball for them, figure out what's for dinner. And then do the nighttime thing. So I appreciate everyone listening to my day of rants. I feel like today was very ranty. It's hard for me to control my tone of voice. I wish it was easier. I, actually, the correct phrase is, I wish it were easier. I wish it were easier for me to control my tone of voice. But I just the, the passion's in there and it comes out. So I'm going to just leave that at that. Thanks again for listening to the Life in Paradise podcast, the only show on the interwebs that has nothing to do with the title. I'm your host, Brandon Harper. Keep it tranquilo. Hey.